Hello everybody and welcome back to the She Can, She Did podcast and this week's episode in which I got to chat to the creative genius that is Chennai Bakutu, a UK-based wedding and event planner who works with a roster of clients each year who appreciate the finer aesthetics and details in life. Now, if we haven't met yet, firstly, hello, I'm Fee and I'm the founder of She Can, She Did, slash the one asking the questions throughout all of these episodes. And if you are a regular listener, of course, welcome back as always and thank you so much for tuning in. Before we get going on today's episode, I am so, so pleased to say that Tide Business Current Accounts are back once again as the sponsor of the She Can, She Did podcast, a fact that I am very happy about because I've been banking with Tide ever since I switched over to being a limited company at the end of 2018 and have loved them ever since, so feel like I really can go to town talking them up in these intros. If you haven't heard of Tide, it's a business current account dedicated to startups, entrepreneurs and freelancers. You can download the app and set up a business account with them in no more than 10 minutes if you're interested by the way, who have in recent weeks set up a small business solidarity series on their website to champion and promote Tide users, which has been designed to showcase the various ways in which Tide members are supporting others as we all navigate the coming weeks and months. From free SEO resources and business coaching sessions from fellow business owners to free online fitness sessions and meditation recordings too. There are so, so many useful offers to take advantage of, so please do feel free to have a look at their website www.tide.co forward slash solidarity hyphen initiatives or of course by following the link in this episode show notes. Right, back to this episode with Chennai, who I first came across a few weeks ago when Chennai, along with Mako Doro of Berry and Brie, created a series on Instagram that went live on Blackout Tuesday that amplified the voices and experiences of black creatives within the wedding industry. From the research that Chennai undertook in the early days to ensure that she promoted integrity and professionalism from day one and how she's approached charging for and promoting her services as her experiences increased thereafter, how she dealt with COVID-19's colossal impact on the wedding industry, along with why she's put flexible boundaries in place as a service-based business owner, to why she feels more confident about discussing why the wedding industry needs to be more diverse today than she did a few weeks back, and how her confidence in general has evolved since launching her own business. This is Chennai's business story in full to date. There's a few Wi-Fi issues at some point owing to the whole recording in lockdown thing, but I've done my best to edit them out, so please do take those with a pinch of salt when they crop up. As always, ladies, I really hope you enjoy it. I had a quick Google before this call, and The Wedding Planner with Jennifer Lopez came out when I was nine years old. And I remember literally being obsessed with that movie and her headset and just the glamour of it all and do you know what every time I meet anyone in the wedding industry but particularly wedding planners I always feel like these are the best kind of interviews because your job is the kind of job where so many women would be say wouldn't it be amazing to be a wedding planner? They're so lucky. They live you know such glamorous lives and it's like hang on a second there's a lot of work going in. So in your own words, what is your business all about? And we're going to go from there because I have a feeling this is going to be a good little chat. <laughs> <laughs> and yes to The Wedding Planner, brilliant movie, wonderful <laughs> movie for reference. Um, not necessarily a true reflection of real wedding planner life, but I 
absolutely love it too. So um, my business, by Chennai Event, I plan weddings and parties for stylish clients across the UK and beyond, predominantly the UK. My business is quite young, so I'll be three in October in business years. And I think I come from a sort of corporate background. So supply chain management is my corporate uh, work experience. But I am also a creative at heart, and I've always been a creative. I studied arts at school. I, although studied business at university, I've always loved to show rather than tell. So whether it's, you know, sketching, drawing, performing in theatre, whatever it is, that's always been my bag. And I knew, even before the Wedding Planner movie came out, I always knew that I wanted eventually to do something that combined my love of celebration you know I love the joy of celebration my mum I inherited a lot of the sort of love for a well-laid table and you know really pretty aesthetically pleasing like dinner table settings from my mum I'm the rare kid who used to love setting the table I just it was just always for me gave me really great joy we as a family you know my mum was the hostess with the most she loved entertaining And I just thought, oh, I wonder if, you know, you could ever do something like that. And I think wedding planning just kind of naturally combines all the things that I'm good at and also enjoy. So, you know, I'm naturally quite organized. I'm not scared of a spreadsheet because ultimately, you know, wedding planning is just that. A lot of the job is planning. You know, the the glamour and the fun is probably about 20% of what I do. The majority of it is relationship building whether it's clients suppliers venues and then the organization because ultimately my clients depend upon me to you know deliver an amazing event and execute it and a lot of the time you know they don't have time or they just don't have you know the like creative vision and they just need someone to help them bring that all together amazing do you remember a kind of turning point that made you decide to launch because you know again I say this on so so many of these interviews it's all well and good dreaming about running your own business and thinking oh wouldn't it be nice that would combine all of my loves etc etc but actually putting into practice is a completely different ball game so what was it that made you go actually I'm going to do this I'm really lucky I've got a wonderful group of friends who sort of had had enough of listening to me talk about this is what I want to do. And one of them happened to get engaged and she was like, okay, plan my wedding then. And I did. I hope she said, please. (laughs) (laughs) She did. And so that was in 2015. And straight away, I sort of, I got, you know, the bug that I was like, no, I love this. I love seeing her happy. I love, you know, making sure that everything's in place. I love you know, creating the flow. I love creating the experience and I really do love this. And so that was 2015. And then I sort of started then researching the industry because prior to this, I didn't actually know anything about the UK wedding industry or how one goes about becoming a wedding planner, aside from obviously the Jennifer Lopez movie. But um, (laughs) I then sort of was looking at, you know, professional industry bodies and trying to decide whether I go down a training route or experience. And I'm I'm very much quite an an impatient person anyway. So I got in touch with people who identified, you know, businesses that I thought, oh my gosh, aspire to be like you, really enjoy what you're doing. Can I come, you know, volunteer my time, you know, all whilst still working a full-time job and just sort of get some, again, on-hand experience of different kinds of events because I knew that I just didn't want to just do weddings as well. So I got experience, you know, doing um, experiential events, you know, with like 
specifically sort of marketing and, um, and company. I then also, you know, volunteered like doing big weddings, you know, Asian weddings, which are, you know, a huge beast than themselves, like cultural weddings I adore, but they are in terms of scale much bigger than, you know, standard European weddings. Oh my God, I went to an Indian wedding two years ago for the first time and it was one of the best nights of my life. Like it, oh. it, they just put on, a, it's a different league. <laughs> And I just love, like, especially like, you know, different cultural weddings, they love the party. I mean, Asian weddings go off. Honestly, you know, the end of the night, they just know how to have a good time. And, you know, what's more joyful than, you know, you know, working in that kind of environment, you know? So then I sort of took about a year and a bit to do a lot of experience. And then another friend was getting married and she said, right. I want a weekend wedding, go forth, help me out with this. And that was sort of my first paid gig. And it was a big paid gig. And that was where I sort of got the real experience of like handling like a like multi-day events and sort of, okay, this is what, this is the kind of weddings that I want to do going forward. And I know that I can make a business out of this. And then I did that wedding. It was the July of 2017. And that's when I sort of started thinking about, okay, what is my business going to be? You know, from a brand perspective, what's my tone of voice? Who do I want to work with? You know, what is the buy tonight experience going to be? What's the client experience going to be? Started sort of putting all that sort of together. And then I launched and I, you know, was obviously in full-time work still and kept getting, you know, doing light touch courses here or there because ultimately, again, being a wedding planner, it's not just something you do. You're running a business as well. And whilst I have corporate experience, it's very different to, you know, having something that's yours. So I knew that I needed to sort of refine all of those skills of like, okay, making sure that my, I understand my costs. I'm making sure that I understand what kind of profit I can make. All of that sort of stuff then came next. Amazing. I mean, let's go back a few steps to that July 2017 wedding. When that's your first experience of running a big budget wedding, it's all on your shoulders and you're being paid for it. How did you approach pricing that when you had nothing, no experience to kind of back you up? You, I guess it was your, you know, you're, you're dipping your toes into the industry and it's your friend. What was the process there? Um, that was very much, again, down to research. So I researched, again, the planners that I sort of, whose businesses that I aspire to, who I thought were doing great work. And then I sort of looked at their, a lot of wedding planners charge percentage of total budget. So I sort of took that model and my friend's parents were supporting her with, with the wedding, as in, you know, most business uh, negotiations. I said to her dad, this is what I would, um, I'm putting forward as my fee. And he was like, great, what is that going to get us? <laughs> and then I, you know, uh, uh, talked them through, you know, the amount of time and hours that I envisioned I was going to be spending. And yeah, so they, you know, they accepted and I just went to work and really put in that time. And through that experience was learning as I was going along because, you know, anything from 200 to 300 hours it takes to plan a wedding. And you've got it again from a sort of costing perspective. You're looking at hourly, how, like, how much am I actually making overall for the time that I'm spending, you know, and, you know, the, the meetings and the whatever. Uh, taking all of that into consideration and again using that for future so that was the first sort of wedding where I really started really sort of refining those little sort of processes around you know charging mm. my worth um 
in line with the market as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I presume, I mean, we'll come on to it later, but I presume your worth as your experience gets bigger and better, that yes. worth obviously goes up. 100%. The experience that I now have, um, given I've done way more weddings um, and weddings of different size and scale again, is that you know, I'm refining those processes all the time and clients now get the benefit of, you know, what I call my library. My library includes my supplier network. You know, I do so much research when I take on a client in terms of getting to know them, getting to know what their style is. And then sort of already I'm mentally trying to match suppliers with clients. So I don't have a sort of exclusive relationship with suppliers for that reason, because I don't believe that that's the best way to get the right result for a client I'm very much like okay I know these guys are they love the countryside you know they're from Devon they love organic food who's the best caterer who will do that for them or these guys are proper you know they're contemporary you know city you know guys they love a good restaurant they love the latest happening so I need to get get them a supplier who can sort of meet that you know need for example so yeah I guess you know as I go forward now you know, my pricing is very much reflective of that. That's, you know, as a client, you're not just getting my time, you're getting my experience and also like just my dedication. Like I'm so dedicated to my clients and I kind of business that I want to have is one where clients aren't on a conveyor belt. I don't do 20 weddings a year for that reason, because, you know, the amount of time, I can't explain to clients sometimes how much time I give them. I'm, you know, although I do draw boundaries I'm always available for my clients and I want it to always be that way Mm, yeah definitely how many weddings do you do a year um so this year was going to be 2020 alas (laughs) so this year was going to be eight so a mixture of six full plan weddings where I do everything and then I just had two where I was supporting with wedding day management so I kind of take over six weeks before the wedding day sort of get them over the line as it were and then I'm there all day to coordinate everything. So it was eight. Now left with one because <laughs> everything has been postponed 2021, rightfully so. So we'll see if the, the, you know, the last one goes ahead or not. Well, we'll come on to COVID because, oh my gosh, what a topic. I'm interested in this October launch then. So you obviously take that time to kind of work out the brand identity, who your target customer is, your brand voice. You obviously had said at the beginning it was a kind of a more a luxury client or like a what you said a word I forgot what the word was <laughs> stylish client so stylish client there we go so what does that entail do you know what I mean it's a subjective yeah. term yeah so for me it's more you know the clients aren't they don't necessarily look a certain way my client roster is quite diverse so I've got clients who are British and Sikh so you essentially they've got like a cultural celebration um coming up but it's more people who like the aesthetics because actually some people want to get married they want to have a great party with their friends and family and aren't too bothered about investing too much in the aesthetic whereas I kind of sit in both camps you know I think a wedding should be you know whatever your priorities are 100% if you care about food and music and that's what you care about your budget should reflect that and, you know, that's the experience you should give your friends and family. But if you also love the pretty, you want to transform a room or whatever it is, I also do that. And I guess, yeah, so essentially that's where sort of my, my ideal clients sort of sit in that camp. Because ultimately, I think people get planners more so than not 
for because they need the help. They don't have the time and the expertise. They just need the help, the helping hand. And then everything else, sort of designing the look and feel comes secondary to that. Amazing. So how did you go about getting the brand out there? You know, having not worked in this industry before and how did you hone in and get yourself in front of those clients? How did you make the brand stand out there? Yes, yeah, so truth be told, um, so I started, I designed my own website at the beginning because I just did not have money for a designer. And I also knew deep down inside that even my personal taste would evolve, you know, uh, you know, as being very new into the industry, you know, got those social media channels going. And then I was like, right, I need to meet other suppliers and network. For me, visibility has been the one tool that has really helped, you know, it may not necessarily have helped get me clients, but it certainly helped me win clients because I, you know, I've really sort of got to understand the industry and got to understand like the, you know, the, some amazing suppliers. So when I sort of launched, I went to things like the Wedding Breakfast Club in London, which was run by a photographer and it's a huge network of different kinds of suppliers. And it was such a great resource from a business perspective, but also just to kind of understand what the industry is saying. I then did a light touch course with the UK Association of Wedding Planners because as a they, you know, promote integrity and professionalism in the industry, which is very important to me. And they have amazing networking events. And again, that was a great way to kind of, you're learning from some of the best who've been in the business a long time, also meeting, you know, your contemporaries and then start going to events, you know. So going to the events, I would observe brides, grooms, couples, what they were looking for, what they were gravitating towards. So essentially things like wedding shows, people go there, not necessarily to book suppliers all the time. They go for a day out, they go for inspiration. So I would always go to like, I'd go to like a bride luxe show or whatever, just to see what it is potential clients are looking for or looking at what they are you know, drawn to that sort of thing. So all of those things helped. And I guess Instagram for me has been really, really great. I invest a lot of time into Instagram and, you know, you know, traditional thought, thought will say, okay, you can't rely on one channel to sort of talk to your ideal client, but it's the channel that works for me. I have obviously Pinterest for inspiration because brides go, you know, spend a lot of time on Pinterest, but Instagram has been where I've really been able to kind of hone my tone of voice. People get to know me, but also get to see like the work that I do. And I just love that it's, you know, it, I feel the connectedness to my following on Instagram. I'll give you a real life example. Last year, I ran an Instagram sponsored post. I spent £35 on it and I got my biggest client for this year. Just from that, I spent £35,000. Uh, £35, sorry. I was like, uh, that's expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I spent £35 and got a very sort of big budget wedding out of it in a venue that's been on my list. And so it just goes to show, again, you know, if you find a channel that works for you, mm. how that can benefit business. Absolutely. And that's actually it's such an incredible story because I've only ever heard the bad side of doing Instagram ads. So that's really interesting. That's that's a, yeah. like a nice perspective to have. I'm not really, you know, well versed in that world. And I just I don't know, like I think what I do know is I guess whether it's, you know, creating the right sort of target audience for it. I've tested a few different adverts and not all of them necessarily bring back that return. But that one and another has also led me to a wonderful client. So I don't do them often. As with Instagram, you know, I don't post every day. I post when I feel like I have something to say. 
so that yeah. it feels authentic and genuine and stuff but I do post regularly so yeah it's been it's been helpful for me Absolutely. I'm interested to know, given that your name is part of the brand, um, how you've navigated that and how comfortable that is to kind of be the face of the brand. Because I always think, you know, the minute you put your name in a brand, there's a added expectation to kind of show up. Yeah. And, and that's right. I named it by Chennai because I was really kind of passionate about the things that I want an experience of working with me to be so I wanted to have care consideration I want you to feel valued and you know you're going to be helped by Chennai you're going to be guided by Chennai and you're going to have a wonderful wedding by Chennai which is why I named it that and I think in the future I've you know I still want my business to kind of feel like a boutique brand that it we're not going to be doing a gazillion events every year a gazillion weddings every year so to some degree, a client will always have support from me, whether I have like an intern, an assistant or, a, you know, an employee in the future, you know, managing the day to day. I, as the, you know, the person, you know, whose name is on the metaphorical door will always be involved in some way to ensure that you get the same level of care and excellence that I strive for. Yeah, absolutely love that. You mentioned earlier boundaries and how you haven't quite like, you, you know, you're quite good, but you haven't quite nailed it. How how have you as a service-based business managed that? Like what what does it kind of, I guess, look like today and how has it evolved since day one? Because I definitely think it's something that you get better at with time, right? Yes, I think it's at the beginning, I didn't necessarily have those conversations with clients, you know, at first meeting to kind of be like, oh, what are your expectations? This is what I can do and blah, blah, blah. And I think now I'm more comfortable from the onset sort of setting out. So depending whether I'm just doing, so I'm doing a client's wedding 2021 where I'm just doing the designing of the wedding. And I clearly state that, you know, they get two hours of my time every month up until the wedding day. So whether that's by call or in person, that's for us to discuss design because Ultimately, they don't, you know, I don't need that much time with them because I'm only focusing on the design. Whereas before, I would have probably shied away from like specifying that. Mm. Um, whereas now I'm very clear about that sort of thing. Full planning clients are different because, as I said, it comes back to, you know, the idea that I want to be available to my clients. So a lot of my clients will like message me in the morning, be like, oh, you flew for a call today. And if I am, I'll take it. You know, they know that if they text me at like 7 p.m., and if I'm able to, I will respond. Clients generally, you know, respect the weekends, for example. But like with prior arrangement, I'm always sort of really flexible because obviously, you know, a lot of them work as well Monday to Friday and not always just want to get on a call to discuss wedding business in the evening. So I do a lot of calls on Saturdays sometimes. But again, again, it's with discussion, prior ag- arrangement and communication. I mm. think at the beginning, I would have just shied away from maybe setting that out uh, from the very beginning. Have you ever had any challenges from, or have you ever had experienced challenging clients, not naming names at all, but, you know, as a service-based business or not necessarily worked with them, but seen that as an issue and maybe had to step back and not work with them? Um, I mean, I do, you, you know, you do hear from other, you know, planners about like their sort of horror clients, the ones who you know, want a PA 
you know, they don't want a planner, they want a personal assistant. Fortunately, I don't, I have not had that experience, quite honestly. I'm just, I've been really fortunate. I've got a great, like, sort of roster of clients at the moment. But yeah, I'm very aware that there are a lot of people who don't quite understand, like, you know, what planner's there to do, you know what I mean? Like, there's some things, like, even if it's not just, like, time-based, it's, like, things like wanting to mediate in family disputes, for example. Now, that's definitely not in my my sort of job remit, um, you know, like asking the planner to sort of relay a message to a sister who's no longer been asked to be a bridesmaid, like things like, you know, things like that. That's, again, awkward expectations that clients have of what their planners are there to do. I think that's the thing, isn't it, as uh, being your own boss, it's something that kind of comes, that you don't necessarily foresee at the beginning but those difficult conversations are part and parcel of running your own business aren't they so they just however uncomfortable you just kind of have to grit your teeth sometimes and and, and navigate those and set your own boundaries and stuff yeah for sure for sure and I mean especially at this time um you know we're going to talk about COVID I'm sure but with all of the sort of stress and the heightened like emotional you know like heightened emotions just because of where we are in this limbo in the wedding industry because of lack of guidance and clarity around when large gatherings can be can resume you know couples especially who have wedding planners obviously are leaning more on them for help and guidance which for me you know I enjoy that role because you know it is what I'm here for and also a lot of the time you know people only intend to plan a wedding once in their life so they don't have any experience in this you know and they're you know they're looking to us like to help so yeah in extraordinary circumstances like the one that we're currently in you know I don't mind the lines being blurred because actually you know I feel it my duty to support my clients the best that I can um with whatever they need Mm, that's so important that you've kind of raised that I think it's um it's such a interesting point because I think this is the, the, the situation that we're in right now really has, I suppose, shown who really genuinely cares. And I think mm. it's a, a case of stepping up and embracing that side. Like like you said, you know, you're there to kind of support. And it's, yeah, it's, it's stepping into that role, isn't it? It's kind of mm. taking on that that responsibility, but also being very aware that, yeah, where your boundaries are. It's a weird one. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Let's roll with COVID then. We'll talk about general challenges of being not just a wedding planner, but female founder in general in a second. But, you know, I don't need to tell you the wedding industry. Oh, my goodness, has been hit. So how has COVID played out for you right through from early March, where we were navigating that uncertainty leading up to, I think, the 23rd of March is when we went into lockdown, then lockdown. Um, and then this current weird bubble that we're all living in, where it's kind of, are we coming out of it? Are we not? Like, where, can events go ahead? Can they not? You know, how has it played out for you? I think at the beginning, it just, I didn't even consider that the landscape would look the way that it does now. I think at the beginning, it was very much like, okay, my mind was just focused on the immediate. Okay, we're going to be locked down. And I didn't really, you know, naively or not, think beyond that I just thought oh we'll be locked down or oh, four weeks it will come out and you know continue fortunately well at the time I thought oh I'm so fortunate my season doesn't begin until June so in March I was thinking oh, okay well you know we'll go through this little lockdown period and then we'll just go back to normal as I'm very lucky I don't have any spring weddings my season stops in the summer 
However, <laughs> uh, it became more apparent that, you know, this was not going to go ahead. And I guess I had to just start educating myself, like really quickly, educating myself about, you know, what the implications would be, you know, venues having to shut down. And from an insurance perspective, what can one claim on insurance? What can my clients claim on insurance? Like, how does that all work? So I went through this period of just like having to educate myself and then obviously look at the outlook for my little enterprise. Like, okay, this revenue stream is essentially halted. Like, you know, what do I do then? And I mean, I'm fortunate, as I said, I've got a corporate background so I can lean on that to ensure that I've got some kind of income still coming in, whether it's, you know, doing um, freelancing or whatever it is. But that's a real challenge. You know, all of the other young businesses in this industry if you had left full-time employ to go into this like full-time gig, this is disastrous, like absolutely disastrous. So yeah, I mean, it prompted a lot of creative thinking from me about like, okay, how do I keep money coming in? But also how do I make this a great experience still for my clients? Like I don't want them to stress. I don't want them to, you know, feel downhearted. I've been so lucky, advocated for my clients with venues on all of their postponements. The venues have all been really great. So I've been lucky. I've not had any horror stories personally. So we've managed to kind of get all the postponements done, managed to do the same with suppliers. Because this is the thing is that with all the postponements, photographers now are finding they're booked Wednesday through to Sunday because people are having to do midweek weddings because there's only so many Saturdays in a year, you know? So yeah, it's managing all of that. And then also like finding new suppliers where other suppliers have been unavailable because of these postponements. So yeah, it's been... It was, as I said, at the beginning, I just didn't think that this is what the landscape would look like and then sort of moved into a period of just kind of like having to educate myself about how do I move forward mm. um, and then actually obviously doing the doing of supporting my clients to move forward. With yeah, definitely. I think it's so, it's so true. I remember having a conversation with my partner at the beginning of lockdown when Boris Johnson announced that we were going into lockdown for three weeks and literally just being so naive about the whole thing, thinking oh, you know, three weeks is what it is. Yeah. And I remember during that time thinking this, no, it, it, this is yeah, um, going to go on for a bit longer. But oh my goodness, if someone had said in March, you'd still be in lockdown come end of June, I would have been, I would have been like, no, you're having a laugh. <laughs> no way. Yeah. It's absolutely bonkers, isn't it? And I think it's so important that I, I don't downplay it in these interviews because, mm -hmm. you know, we've all kind of got used to it. We're in this like strange little bubble, like I said earlier. But actually, in all of our lives, we will look back on this and just think, God, 2020, yeah. what the best. Um, so it is, it's interesting to see how you are addressing that. Have you been able to benefit from any of the government support for small businesses? Tricky, tricky, because um, I'm still a sole trader, so I'm not a limited uh, company yet. And having to get everything together in terms of like, obviously, you know, unfortunately, and I advise everyone who's listening, open a business account and always have your, um, you know, income from the business going into a business account. It'll help you, you know, no matter how small your little enterprise is, it'll help you in the future. And that's, you know, helped me. So no, I've not benefited massively at all from, you know, what's available. As I said, I'm having to rely on, you know, going back into like working and getting a salary income for this time until my weddings can resume yeah yeah um which I've been you know I'm, I'm fortunate to have 
but yeah I think you know I know a lot of friends who've been you know going down the bounce back loan route which I didn't want to do as I said I'm okay for now and I I just didn't want to take it on any debt and I know that there's you know a year to you know pay it back with no interest and whatnot whatnot but for the time being I was just kind of focusing on right what does my client list look like for 2021 2022 as long as I can kind of guarantee um, some great clients over the next sort of two years and again I guess that's the benefit of having this time and this experience is wedding planning is so, you know, uncertain in terms of when clients come, there's no season for these things. You know, you'll get a client, you know, I just signed a client last week and it's not necessarily proposal season. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, but it's very, you know, it's it's, it's peaks and troughs in terms of when you attract clients and sign clients. But my real sort of this year epiphany out of (laughs) COVID is very much about like, I'm focusing very much on sort of opening up my book for longer to make sure I'm booked further out mm. to therefore always ensure that I've got like that income sort of stability a, a little further out. Mm. And I guess has that meant just a lot more outreach on your part or have you found that just generally it's through chance, you know, that no, they've come through? No, a little bit, you know, you, you, you maintain or increase your activity on the channels that work. So more on socials, tidying up my website, working on SEO. I've now, I'm at a place where I'm working with a designer to, because I was going to rebrand anyways, uh, not rebrand, but refresh my brand. And then also I did want a professional to redesign the website. So I'm having that done to launch later in the year. But yeah, just like taking the time to really work on the things that you neglect. So working more on SEO, you know, really like drilling down into like rewriting copy, blogging more all of those things that you kind of take for granted or, you know, don't do because there's a million other things to be doing. Mm. So, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, all of that sort of stuff will help. Absolutely. Um, It's so funny how easily it is to overlook those things because they're not the most glamorous, are they? So they're often like they go right to the back of the pile. But it's like we were saying earlier, like there's no hiding with this. It's kind of forcing everyone to kind of confront the bits that they have been neglecting for a while. So, yeah, SEO is one of them. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that a lot of people can outsource these things. But for me, as I said, you know, I'm not even three years old yet. You know, anything I've earned in the business, I'm putting back into the business, i.e. getting professional designing done, etc. So if I can, where I can, to some degree, I will do for now. And, I, you know, I know, you know, some great um, contacts who can help when I am ready to sort of you know, pay for those services. But again, it's one thing that I'd advise anyone at the beginning of their journey is to identify the things that, you know, absolutely, I can't do this. I.e., if you don't think you can navigate designing a website, spend the money up front. Um, but then there's other things that you can actually learn. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm so like you on that. And like, I'm coming up to three years this summer. And it's so true. Like, I always hear about people outsourcing everything from day one, like literally everything. And I'm like, how the hell are you affording it? Do you know what I mean? You just have to kind of do those bits and kind of teach yourself and fumble your way through sometimes, don't you? <laughs> Just popping on here with a little reminder to say that this episode is sponsored by Tide Business Current Accounts, who have created the Small Business Solidarity Series, showcasing how Tide members are supporting others with their businesses as we all try and navigate the weeks and months ahead. To browse the offers and discounts available, feel free to have a peek at the link to the Business Solidarity Series in this episode's show notes. 
let's talk challenges in general then. Looking back, what has been the most challenging day on the job so far? Can you, can you think of one in particular? So event days to me are the best, the actual best. So I don't really ever find those challenging and I've not really had, you know, any massive disasters. Uh, I think the, ch- the challenge comes in the work that you have to do behind the scenes. And I can't emphasize this enough. You know, to your point about the wedding planner film, <laughs> the day of when you're like running around, doing your thing, wonderful, the adrenaline's going, it's so much fun. But actually it's, the work that you put in the background because like I said you don't just launch one day and the clients come raining through the industry has changed a lot and there's a lot more of it you know wedding planning 10 years ago was still quite niche it's not now there's a lot of people coming up and coming through so you have to kind of do the work to kind of differentiate yourself and I don't have a gimmick I don't necessarily want to put myself in a particular box but you know, it's doing that work in the background to make sure that people, A, can find you, to when they do find you, they kind of go, okay, yeah, no, she's for me, or whatever it is. And that is challenging because it's it's like constant work that you've got to do in the mm. background. Yeah. And it's not all, like, to, you know, it's not always glamorous. Like SEO, not glamorous at all. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> um, you, know, you know, website, you know, copy rewriting, not glamorous at all. No. Just making sure that you're, keeping a track of your costs and that sort of thing, as with any business, not glamorous. <laughs> but, you know, to your point, and I mean, I think those are gen- general challenges that people will face, but from, you know, like, have I had a challenging day on the job as in on a wedding day? Luckily, and touch all things would, not yet, all so far so good but I expect that because you know that's what you work towards you know you do all the planning and the prepping and the plan a and plan b so that the day itself you are there to just make sure that they have the best time yeah definitely I mean I can kind of relate my previous job before launching she can she did I used to produce uh international finance conferences and I remember on the day I'd have to manage the speakers on site and make sure the uh, conference around time and stuff and I remember so many people treating me on the day like guests that um I was literally just a time manager, like timekeeping. And it's so funny what you said in terms of the background, because I wrote the program eight months ago and did the research and I got the speakers on board and I oversaw the project management in terms of the sponsorship and the ops. And then you do the event and you just, people just don't see it, do they? And it's just like, you have no idea the work that's gone into this. Yeah, yeah. You know, you have no idea. Okay, in terms of looking after yourself then, given that, you know, you're quite comfortable being there for clients if they if they need you, how do you switch off? What does downtime look like for you? And how you, do you make sure that you are looking after yourself throughout all of this? And on a set, like kind of link to that on event day itself and in and around event day when there's that concentrated yeah. pressure. I think, you know, lockdown has been unique in the sense that it has really sort of heightened, you know, some of the anxieties that I have about, you know, from a health perspective. So I'm asthmatic and I was reading so much about like, you know, COVID and like, obviously, you know, it's really impacted the, you know, BAME community and whatever. So it was really starting to impact me like mentally. So I, from a routine perspective, I've been doing, I would found a 12 week program on YouTube by Heather Robertson. So I've been working out every morning, Monday to Friday in the morning, to start the day 
Then I sit down and I work throughout the day and mostly calls because given by virtue of the fact that we can't do meetings and things like that. And then I have a point at the end of the day where I step away from my desk and I cook. I love to cook. So I cook every day. I've been cooking, you name it. I've baked it. I've grilled it. I've broiled it. I've roasted it. I've that, that's been me. That's uh, you're my kind of girl. This is like my kind of switch off. I love it. <laughs> and, but I love it. And I love it because I put my music on and, you know, even for like half hour, whatever it is, I have a clear sort of definition between the working day and then the evening. Mm. Um, I love to sort of just watch quite like trivial TV and that sort of thing. But sometimes What's your favourite? I love my trashy TV. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I'm not giving away my secrets. Um, no, um, you know, I'm not averse to a housewife or two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Atlanta preferably. Um, <laughs> but I know, but I, I do, like I've got like, I'll, I've just started re-watching Sex and the City from the beginning. Yeah. I also do love like some great drama. So I'm watching Billions at the moment. I love um, Billions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what else? I was going to rewatch The West Wing just to sort of, you know, bring back the fantasy of, you know, proper functioning government. Aaron Sorkin's writing is brilliant. It's just, be- anyways, I could go on. Um, <laughs> Queer Eye, Project Runway, give me all of the things that are just, you know, aesthetically pleasing, heartwarming, all of that. Absolutely. Grey's Anatomy is back. I'm happy. I, can relate to that though I just think that sometimes like there's nothing better going back to cooking and stuff that evening of just being able to just say right enough is enough and there's something really just comforting about being in the kitchen and just yeah like getting lost yeah and then you know weekends which has been the joy of lockdown I guess is on Saturdays I've been doing a really long walk um, in the morning so I walk I live in West London so I've walked from my house to like Regent's Park. I walked to Camden along the canal. I walked to Battersea Bridge and back. I walked to Hammersmith Bridge, you know, just discovering London at a time like, you know, it, it, with such a wonderful vantage point where the streets are empty and it's so clean and so beautiful mm. has been really, really wonderful. And I've been sort of taking photographs along the way just to remind me of how, you know, because obviously as we go back to normal life, you know, the streets will be busy and that sort of thing. But like walking has, you know, been wonderful as well, to be yeah, honest. Absolutely. And then, you know, there's, it's been such a challenging few months in so many ways, but there has also been, you know, little perks like that. You just, we take it so for granted on a day-to-day life, don't we? But actually the quiet, the peace and quiet has been like a well, blessing. Really, And also it's really made me like, I'm always on the go. Like mm. I am, the person who you know my friends will be like if you want to see Chennai you've got to book it in because I'm just I'm booked and busy all the time anyways but I realized that I a lot of the busyness was unnecessary you know what I mean like it's so nice to like slow the pace down evaluate where I was spending my time not just my money which you know I sort of looked at my bank accounts before I'm like I eat out a lot um <laughs> but um but also just like evaluating where you're spending your time Mm. And I know for a fact, you know, when we're back to whatever normal is, is that that's the one thing that I'm carrying forward. Yeah. Being precious with my time. Mm. Yeah, I can agree more with that. I had a conversation that sounded a lot like that with my sister the other day. We were, to- we were talking about, you know, just how many things you say yes to when actually, like, no. why? why? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's exactly. so true. We can't, we can't um, obviously 
I, well, I want to talk about it. We're what three weeks after the Black Lives Matter movement really yeah. picked up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you and uh, Mako, you did like a really amazing kind of feature honing in on what it meant to be a black woman in the wedding industry. Yeah, talk me through that, and I guess how the past few weeks have played out for you. Yeah, so I mean, we we call it the Blackout series now, but like, so following George Floyd's death and the sort of rise of the Black Lives Matter movement, which obviously the movement has been going for some years now because, you know, Eric Garner, Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin, all of the people um, who have sadly lost their lives to police brutality. You know, what I felt was happening this time around was a real shift because to your point earlier about us being in lockdown and having more time and attention to, you know, we, we weren't rushing to get the tube in the morning or going to work. We had time to kind of let these things sit with us and kind of go, well, actually, this is a, you know, we have to have a wider conversation about racism anyways, you know. And at the beginning, I really felt like even friends of mine, you know, I've got a luckily a very diverse friendship group. You know, a lot of my white girlfriends were like, you know, totally get death of George, George Floyd is, you know, terrible. But like, you know, talk us through like why it's so amplified, the, you know, the, the, the feeling of rage and outrage and whatever. And I'm just like, it's because, you know, just because it happened in the US, it's kind of made a lot of us think about the experiences that we have in the UK. And, you know, I'm born in Zimbabwe, raised in Zimbabwe, moved here when I was 18. And I grew up in a country where I was a majority. So I never felt like I had no right to take up space anywhere that I went because I, it's just how I live. And when I moved here, I remember thinking, I remember then you sort of notice, okay, the places in which I'm taking up space, there's not that many of me, whether it's at uni or in the workplace, you're, you're one of five, one of 10, one of whatever. And the experiences that I go through, no matter how small in, you know, in scale by comparison to having somebody, you know, kneel on your neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds, was still really disheartening to me. Um, I've had a wonderful, like, I really love living in England because I feel like we're a far much more mature society than over the pond to a degree. But I still felt like, you know, we, we really shy away from having conversations about like racism. I have friends who won't even call me black, you know, won't say, oh, she's a black girl. I'm like, there is nothing wrong with saying that word, like, you know, like things like that. But I guess it comes down to like the nature of like Britishness, you know, the, you know, the wanting to be polite and yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. But coming back to the Blackout series videos, the day that I think it was like Tuesday when, you know, you know, the black squares on social media. Mako and I were just having a conversation in the morning just about how we felt about it. Just to clarify, Mako is the founder of Berry and Brie. Yes. Who creates the amazing grazing platters and boards. Yes. I'm presuming yes. you must have worked together on weddings, right? We know, we've known each other, when we, we've known each other about two years now. Yeah. Uh, just, Mako's actually also Zimbabwean, so we kind of connected on that level. We are, funny enough, working on our first wedding together in December we just kind of met through networking um and I support her wholeheartedly she's like an incredible human being like you know in her 20s mother of three business owning like just sensational yeah, yeah, yeah I remember when she spoke at the panel she was pregnant with her third baby and she just everything that she I remember speaking to her on the, the prep call beforehand not knowing she was pregnant at the time and um and then she kind of was telling me everything that she was managing at that time and then she was just like oh and I'm expecting my bird and I remember just being like oh my what? god Maggie, like you're actually super yeah. like yeah wow. 
so much respect you know and I I respect her and support her wholeheartedly and she does me you know so we were just chatting she called me that morning we're just talking stuff and she goes I really feel like we should if people are going to do the blackout thing the, the you know the muting of their channels well let's give them something to listen to you know if they're committed to then muting their channels to amplify other voices let's give them something to listen to and there was no other thought beyond that. You know, we thought, you know, in our little corner of the wedding world, yeah, let's gather some people that we know together, our peers, see what they're, you know, if they're happy to and comfortable to go on camera and, you know, just talk about you know, the wedding industry. And I have had an amazingly positive experience, but I can see how other people have not. And also, you know, how non-white people are represented or not represented in mainstream wedding media, you know, or included or, you know, even, you know, seem visible. So we kind of reached out to a group of women that we know and got them to record these videos. And basically, Mako and I just kind of put it together and decided to drop it at like 6.30 that evening and did not at all expect the reaction to it which was overwhelming really overwhelming but also really positive like really positive in conversations that were happening thereafter in reflections and also you know people of influence in the industry this is the thing it's like you know we have no influence well I we didn't feel like we had any influence you know whether it's in media in publications in the blog and it was just nice that the people who do have that kind of influence over what brides and grooms see then sort of sort of digested it and started taking it in because ultimately in in the wedding industry it is quite siloed in the sense that you have asian weddings here african and you know black weddings there and then the mainstream which is whiteness essentially you know and there's a reason why i think we're still so segmented is because people look at those blogs and they're like well they don't have people like me on there therefore it must not be for me venues suppliers you know they use the same people that they see in these publications therefore you know the spotlight has never shown on other amazing talents and that's been the real joy and you know what I'm really humbled by and pleased with as a result of this video is that the people that I've always known to be super talented amazing bridal designers great caterers are now like just being put forward you know just given a little bit of spotlight it's not saying that black vendors are better than or whatever it's kind of going for your consideration you know and people have a you know some people have an issue with a lot of the people creating you know black vendors lists and things like that and I'm just again it's just kind of going no the point is if you didn't know about these people beforehand without this list you never will have known about them just because of the way our you know industry is kind of set up so by spotlighting highlighting amplifying these people now you know who they are. What you do with that information is your business. If you kind of go, gosh, I've discovered an amazing cake maker, great. Mm. Again, these lists are kind of just saying for your consideration. Hugely. And I think it's just, it is so important what you said. You know, it's not at all this whole movement. It's not trying to say in any way, shape or form, Black Lives Matter more. It's that fight for equality, isn't it? Did, it, did that whole experience feel cathartic kind of just having the opportunity to just really get what you wanted to say out there and and know full well that we were listening yeah and I think you know we were I was actually quite nervous like you know there was not this level of confidence that I have now speaking to you I was quite nervous about how it would be received 
because as you have probably witnessed with a lot of these conversations, people react in two ways, defensively, or they embrace the, the information. And a lot of people, you know, really embraced the message and then went off and would, you know, decided they needed to look at their, you know, how they do things or like, you know, uh, their businesses or whatever. And that's always been the goal, like always been the goal, I think, you know, fostering really good conversation and just not pretending that we've got a really super diverse and inclusive industry when we still have work to do. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. What have you learned about yourself, especially as you've, you know, you just said that you were nervous going into that and you feel more confident talking about it. I think that can kind of be applied across the board, you know, at the beginning of launching your business to now. What have you learned about yourself having, you know, the confidence to create those profiles during the Black Lives Matter movement, but also just launching a, a business in yourself, having the difficult conversations, navigating challenges en route, go for it. I think the boss moment for me is kind of just trusting myself enough to be like, actually, you've got this, so do it. You know, I'm still, you know, I still look at resources, you know, to make myself better, to improve and whatever. But whereas before I was like hell bent on like mentorship and that sort of thing. And having a mentor is great, but also it, I feel like for me, it, could become a bit of a crutch because I'm like at some point you're gonna have to make your own decisions like move in your own way and actually it's that listening to yourself and just kind of go at some point you're just gonna have to do it like just do the thing do the thing and figure out whether it's right or wrong but you can't just keep asking the pool what do you think of this what do you think should I do this should I no 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 just do it 100% like even just down to like seeking information from you know those that you whose business you you know you aspire to whatever yes it's great to understand how they did it but actually how they did it might not work for you and I'm finding that more and more like some people don't really like the idea of planners like showing up on their own like social media account well actually you know as I said my business is my name it's an Mm -hmm. eponymous brand therefore I want people to see me showing up for myself like I want people to see my face I want people to get to know me because it's being a planner a party planner wedding planner it's very much a relationship thing and actually clients what I found yeah will want to look at your portfolio but actually it's more about how they feel around you and whether they feel that you're the right person for them the right person to help them support them carry them through this process absolutely yeah so just coming back to the point about my real boss moment has just kind of been going, do it. Yeah. Whatever you're worried about, just do it. That's the thing. And there's no, there's no, there's no one size fits all with this. And it's so funny, like these, these conversations, you know, I've had two, 200, 250, I don't know now, but I don't necessarily learn specifics from these conversations, but what these conversations do teach me when I kind of draw on everyone's experience is that if they can get through that I can get through my challenge or if they can navigate this I can navigate that as opposed to you know that exact method I must apply you know you just have to work out in your gut what what fits for you don't you yeah and you know not everybody's like you know starting point is the same the people that you I look to I'm just like oh my gosh you know look at their you know business but like you know some of them probably had help you know some of them lots of privilege you know, you know, some of them have husbands who have like highfalutin jobs so they can spend time 
you know, doing this. Some of them have had financial help. I don't have that, you know, I'm team of one in all things, you know, life and otherwise. My parents passed away when I was in my teens. I don't like, I, I, I don't have a bank of mum and dad to, you know, fall back on. I'm very much kind of like starting at a point that I'm doing the best that I can with my situation. And it's the one thing that I had to keep reminding myself of is like, you know, you, you can look at other people, look at their trajectory, look at where they're going. But none of us, none of us ha- are starting at the same, you know, at the, at the same block. Yeah. The only thing that I can determine is how, where I go from here. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, and that's in that's a bit that you can control, isn't it? It's like working yeah. out what you've got and then making the most of it. 100%. Yeah, 100%. love that. Um, I always round up with some statements and it kind of ties on quite nicely with what we've just been speaking about. So I will start and I'd like you to finish, please. Being my own boss means? Charting my own course, creating uh, something of value for myself and my clients. And it means everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love that. So funny, isn't it? Like I've heard that, you know, going back to when people have opinions of what's right and what's wrong, there's lots of stuff out there being like, basically saying like, your business shouldn't define you. And when you say your business is everything, I'm like, oh my God, she can't, she did it as a massive, massive chunk of me. And I, I'm not hiding away from that. It, it is part of my identity. I really do feel like that. For sure, for sure. Um, when it's not quite going to plan, my advice would be to. Don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah, love that. If I could describe myself as a businesswoman, I'd say that I am. I am determined, tenacious. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're two good adjectives, so that's a good, a good one. If I could go back to day one of my business, I'd tell myself. Oh, yes. To uh, trust my instincts more, but also do the work and not procrastinate absolutely and set up a business account earlier that's what I tell myself yes <laughs> yes yes do that well when you said it I was like god yeah that's so true because I didn't set up my business account until a year and a bit in and yeah. oh my god what a headache <laughs> yeah. where money matters concerned nobody cares yeah exactly <laughs> no one cares yeah <laughs> very lastly I want my legacy to be that I want my legacy to be that every Baichanai client came and had a wonderful experience, created awesome memories, and uh, that created joy in their lives. I love that so much. Ah, Chanai, it's been so, so lovely chatting to you. Thank you so much, honestly. For having me. No, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) And we got there in the end with our mic issues. Oh, gosh. Technology. Wow. (laughs) No, thank thank you. you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. If you have a minute to spare and enjoyed it, of course, it would mean so much to me if you could please rate the podcast below or leave a review if you fancy being extra kind, as apparently it helps to give the series a little boost and helps other female founders and aspiring business owners to find it. For now, though, enjoy the rest of your day and please do look out for next week's episode. (music) 